says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me for one last preview is my good mate, 60s. It's been one hell of a ride, big fella. All that's left is a breakdown, one final game or two final games, strictly speaking, between the NRL and the NRLW. But, you know, when you talk about thematically, 80 minutes, 70 minutes for the NRLW, just one last hurrah before glory, mate. Mate, it's funny because I had a, a reply on social media today that said they needed a daily episode of the Tip Sheet podcast to get through the week. And I said, funny about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just, are. Just, just hold our beer. <laughs> and just thinking back, mate, what a journey it's been in 2022. And I know that's going to be the theme of our live show on Friday night at the Parramatta Leagues Club up in Jack's Bar and Grill, but the highs, the lows, the trials, the tribulations, everything this team has gone through from those first two months or over two months, it was nine rounds of backline crisis management where we're down to our seventh and eighth string wingers to the, the triumphant return of Mike Acevo, the emergence of Sean Lane as the game's premier back rower. You know, these previews and just looking at the opposition, looking at our own team, have had some, you know, fantastic nuggets of truth, some, you know, reflective moments where you're looking at what makes this team so good and so frustrating at times. But the identity that has been forged through all of that is what's carried them through to this, this uh, both in the NRL and the NRLW, what's carried both teams through to their respective grand finals. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't want to use a catchphrase or a hackneyed phrase is like full credit to them and that sort of thing. But it's hey, been that's, that's, such... that's why sports cliches exist because there are things like this that give you yeah. give you the basis for it. You know, you yeah. talk about full credit and whatnot. This is a team that is, you know, triumphed above setback after setback after mental, you know, demons that have, you know, been enshrined in this club for decade on decade. So Really, really excited to break down two final games, one for the NRL, one for the NRLW, and we couldn't do it without our expert preview, our expert tipster, so let's get him on the line, mate. And of course, it wouldn't be a grand final preview without Bernie Gurr. Bernie, how you doing on the week of weeks when it comes to the NRL and the NRLW, mate? I'm doing great, and it's, uh, you know, this is the best week of the year for a rugby league fan, and if your club's in the grand final, it's the greatest week. It's just fantastic, and, you know, I'm... I'm really, really happy for the Eels fans who are, you know, they're just enjoying the week. It's it's fantastic to watch. And the Eels are such a big, strong club, powerful club, uh, huge membership, huge fan base, very loyal supporter base. And to me, that's the great takeaway for the week. It's just the joy they're getting out of, the, you know, the fact that the Eels are in the grand final. Yeah, we were saying just before we recorded that it's a pretty good feeling being in this uh, week when the football is still active for your team. It's like, I can get used to this. If the Eels want to make a habit of making some grand finals every now and then, you know, not so bad. That's very addictive, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's got my vote. It's got my vote. <laughs> oh, goodness. Now, Bernie, you were with us on the tip sheet when 
way back, it feels like now, we had that awful loss to the South Sydney Rabbitohs. You previewed that game for us, 26-0, we fell to them. It was definitely the bottom, the cratering out of the season for our boys. They took the lessons from that loss and applied them diligently. And now we arrive in the grand final. But looking back to the last weekend, to the, the game that got us into the final, the one that punched our ticket into the big dance, was that preliminary final against the Cowboys everything that you'd expected after you'd spoken to us? Uh, probably two components to that. The result, yes, I did think we could go up there and win the game, and and the, and the boys did that. But it, it, from another element, no, it was it was not. We we didn't really get a good version of our game on. Um, and it's interesting, you know. I was thinking about this during the week. There's there's always plenty of narratives around Parramatta, and particularly over the last five years where we've been chipping away at the playoffs. And, you know, there was one theory a couple of years ago where we were flat-track bullies. We'd beat the easy teams mm-hmm. and we'd lose big games against good teams in big in big semi-final matches. Then the, then the narrative turned, um, particularly from the back end of 21 and particularly during 2022, where suddenly we were an inconsistent team and we could beat good teams, beating Penrith twice, the Storm twice, the Roosters, but we'd drop our intensity against some of the lower teams and, and they were citing the losses, of course, to the Tigers and Bulldogs. So... There's been various narratives around Parramatta. Parramatta's always seems a popular club for the media to put narratives around. But at the end of the day, this win was a terrific victory. Uh, all the statistics shows that we probably shouldn't have won the game. They had 54% of possession. We had 46. They completed at 83%. We completed at 75. They had more run meters. They had more post-contact meters. Um, they had less tackles. We were behind with uh, eight. 20 points to 12 with about 26 minutes to go. So what's that all mean? It means we won this game on grit, determination, competitiveness, all the things that people typically, the media, they don't associate with Parramatta. They think, you know, we're not that mentally tough, particularly when we're behind on the scoreboard. There's been stories around that we're good front runners, you know, the flat track bully uh, narrative. Um, you know, in the mood, yeah, we can score a lot of points, but, you know, when we really need them, we can't get them. Well, we turned all that around, and we're quite frankly, we've turned it all around in the last five or six weeks since that South game with a with an adjustment in, in mentality. Um, but, you know, just to see the grit, the determination, the competitiveness, and the leadership of our best players in crunch time. Yep. With 26 minutes to go, we were behind by eight points in a sudden-death preliminary final. And, you know, Gutherson, Moses with some good kicking, uh, he had some poor kicking early in the game, but he refocused himself in the second half. RCG, Junior, Lane, Marnie. Our leaders were terrific in that back 20, 26 minutes of the game when we got behind. So to me, if I'm Brad and the coaching staff and the players themselves, when they sit that group in the locker room and it's just them, they should be tremendously satisfied with how they won that game. Because we've won a lot of games where we look great and you know we'll put on big scores. To beat good teams in big games, it doesn't always go your way. And this game didn't go our way. The Cowboys were terrific, but the Eels just found a way on grit and determination. So to me, if I'm if I was Brad and the coaching staff and the players sitting in that locker room together after the game, they should have been tremendously satisfied with that performance. Bernie, as a supporter, there was plenty of tension that we were feeling in those uh, closing moments, there was an outpouring, an absolute outpouring of emotion when the full-time siren rang. What was it like for you watching it? Well, I think it was probably like all the other fans that wanted Parramatta to win. Very, very tense. 
it's funny though. Once RCG scored in the fifty seventh minute, and we were we were back in the game, the momentum, and maybe it was you know I, it was more hope, but I, I did feel there was a momentum swing and there was a mm. belief and a confidence in the group that they could come home with a wet sail, and they did. And again, that was on the back of their determination and their grit and their fight and their competitiveness. So yeah, it was clearly very tense. But as I said, like. It's been terrific, particularly when you look at a macro view of the club and where it was pre-2000, 2016 and prior. I'm so happy for the club, the staff, the coaches, the players, but most importantly for the fans. Um, you know, you could basically in, throughout the entire broader Parramatta district, you could, you could, there was the joy and that sigh of relief that they'd finally won and they were going to the grand final. So, mate, it was, it was terrific. Yeah, when Murray Tulungi... Uh, touch down the corner off that terrific Valentine's Homes pass. You, the Leagues Club, you can just feel the energy, the souls being shattered. Uh, but then, like you said, Bernie, Reg hits back shortly after and suddenly, you know, hope was rekindled and it started burning really brightly. So you, you weren't alone in thinking that that Reg try signified a huge turn of momentum in that game. Uh, like it almost, again, like again it, it was it was Marnie out of Dunham. Yes, Reed, outstanding. To Campbell Gillard. Well, there's three of your leading players combining in a big moment and that's that's what good teams do they take advantage of the, those moments and usually it's your best players that do it and that's and they they're clearly three of our best players yeah and, and i freely admit 60s that we've been some really harsh markers on reed this year but it's no coincidence that Parramatta's best football this year is coincided with his surge in individual form he's playing outstanding football and the eels in a grand final because of it his service has just bounced back up to that elite level mm -hmm. it, it really has and it, it's almost like reed now he's seen the finish line has just found that that extra gear yep. and has, has given the it's given us that that little edge that we've been looking for and it, and it's probably also causing great delight out at canterbury bank <laughs> yes well. absolutely yeah well the interesting thing that all you know, all our players just seem to have found that. Many of our players have found that little edge. Reed, yep. particularly, and Reed, he's our smallest player, but he's arguably our most competitive player. And <laughs> yep. Moses made a mention, I think, in the media during the week that he's the. He didn't use those words, but he basically he's the spark plug. He sets the tone on the yep. line speed. He harasses people out of marker. He he basically annoys the opposition, and he, he's aggressive and competitive and. You know, he really aimed up in that big moment with particularly that try where he faceballed Junior over to, to RCG. That was terrific. Now, this is something that you've detailed across your numerous appearances on our show for our fans, Bernie, but I just want you to sort of put it back into the focus for them listening now. You've been involved with the Premiership success at the Roosters, and you've also spoken about the qualities of those teams and the teams that you see at the Parramatta now. What Premiership qualities are you seeing at the Parramatta Eels heading into this big dance against the Penrith Panthers? Yeah, the, look, the successful teams I've, I've seen and been associated with, they over the course of the year, they build an inner belief and a confidence. It's a quiet confidence. It can sometimes border on a little bit of arrogance, but that's internal and you need to control that. But that's a key a key component. And you need your good players fit. You know, at the, at the, end, of, at the end of the day, if the Eels and the Panthers didn't have their very best players or most of their very best players fit and healthy over the last six, four to six weeks, they wouldn't be in the grand final. So, you 
Now, it's a combination of having your good players and most of your first-grade squad fit uh, and having that inner belief and that quiet confidence because what those two factors bring is good players, belief and plus belief and confidence, you're getting the results you want to get, that equals collective momentum. Mm -hmm. And it's something that you can just feel in a club. You can't, obviously it's not tangible, but you can feel that collective belief and the collective momentum. And, you know, I remember back in 02 when we won at the Roosters that, you know, over the last, it was probably about a 10-week period there, just the momentum and, and the, you know, the ferocity of the of the defence of that side and, and the inner belief um, that, that they could do something special. It was quite it was quite tangible, and, and I'm sensing that inner belief and confidence now within the Eels that when they go out there, if they can get their game on and, and if, uh, remain competitive and determined that, that they can get a result. And and just going back to this last performance individually, and we've touched on Reed Marnie, but have you seen players in this final series or, or against specifically against the Cowboys individually produce a performance that defined being a winner? Well, I've seen all – quite frankly, most of our players outside probably Lane, who had a – he had a second half of the ages in, in his career – I've actually seen all our players play better football than they played in Townsville. What I haven't seen is them collectively say, I don't care what's happening here, we're going to get it mm-hmm. done. And that yeah. was that, that's impressive because, you know, when you, you people tend to think that these semi-final games are easy to win, are easy to win, they're not. And, you know, people have been critical of the Eels not getting past week two. But... You're playing the best teams. By definition, these are the hardest games. So what you've got here is you're playing a very, very good team in the Cowboys, very well coached, very well prepared. You're playing them on the road in a volatile environment. You're really, and the Cowboys really had a 14th man up there with that crowd. Yet the Eels somehow, despite the statistics and the run of the game, and many of the commentators said, I don't know how the Eels won that, given what I just saw in the momentum of the game, the statistics, but they did. And that's what good teams do. They don't always play great uh, to get the win. To do that, you need your leaders stepping up. So, you know, a lot of our individuals, like Gaffler was phenomenal. Yep. Um, Moses had a tough first half, but he, he he refocused himself. RCG and Junior were right in the middle. Lane and Papa Lee were really strong on the edges. We've already talking, uh, spoken about Reed. Although it's Simonson coming in, um, you know, off a long stint away from first grade was terrific, but there just seemed a collective uh, determination to get it to get it done. It's interesting that you talked about, um, you know, uh, getting that win because we recently spoke to an American supporter of the Parramatta Reels who's come in really fresh into uh, his familiarisation with the game, and his his observations were that rugby league is a tough game for any team to win and and therefore like winning a competition is just so incredibly hard as well and i thought you know it, it's it's a very straightforward observation but how true winning a rugby league game is a hard task at this level and oh, uh, you know when it's not going when it's not going right out there on the field to actually manufacture a win is uh, in such a big game is is such an amazing feat. Yeah, it is. Professional sport is plus, and when you have a physical component to a professional sport, like 
you know, any of the rugby codes or the NFL, um, you know, there's that there's that brutality, uh, legal brutality, <laughs> you, you, you like, um, and that comes into it. Therefore, you know, the mental application on top of you, you know, your tactical preparation, etc., uh, your fitness, your, your conditioning, etc. It's it is it's, it's it's tough to win. If it was easy to win comps, everyone would do, it and they don't. It's so difficult to do. Yeah, and further to that, I mean, rugby league is such a unique sport. When momentum goes against you, the game is so fluid, so fast that it feels like you're swept up in a current sometimes. And what the Eels did on Friday night, you know, is that much more remarkable because of it. And and sort of further to that, Bernie, uh, I know that Todd Payton poked a little bit of fun at it. I'm not why I say poke fun. Maybe he was a bit more serious than that. I don't know. In his uh, coach of the year acceptance speech last night in the Dally M's, uh, and talking about the uh, media focus on the controversy with the Ford pass call there. But in this instance, uh, is it surprising or disappointing to have that be probably the major talking point out of this game, a game that was fought so hard between the two teams, a game that featured plenty of other dramatic calls that went other ways, but the forward pass has been almost a singular focus out of it? Oh, I think it's expected, particularly in you know the media environment. You're always going to get that. They're always rugby league. The official, I've seen no game around the world, and I've lived overseas for a long while and looked at a lot of sport overseas, to me, there's no game in the world that focuses on officiating and refereeing like rugby league. It's become almost um, addictive for certain media people to just focus on that element. But look, in this case, it, it was it was expected that, that it was addressed. Um, most analysts, and quite frankly, I was I was pleasantly surprised that a number of analysts said, "Look, um, they understood that it was one incident in a game. It happened." Um, in the sixth minute, there were 74 minutes remaining that teams could, you know, adjust to that. And quite frankly, Todd Payton straight after the game said, look, I thought it was four, but then I had a closer look at it. Maybe it was closer than I thought. In the end, I thought it was four. If I had to make a call, I thought it was four. Um, but, you know, there's other things that happen in the remaining 74. Mitchell Moses wasn't allowed to get in the defensive line when Joey Lewis scored. Um, I thought there was a potential knock-on by them before Reuben Cotter's try that was never reviewed. Now, I'm not sure whether it was or not, but there's always these things that happen within a game that can that can determine tries or no tries. But there's no question in my mind that Parramatta deserved the victory based on everything we talked about earlier. Now, Bernie, we're in the middle of grand final week. It's already been quite extraordinary. We, we talked to you about what we're experiencing as fans right now, can you you you've been there, you've done that? Talk us through the demands and challenges of a grand final week for a club. Yeah, it challenges the entire club. It challenges obviously the coaches and players because they have to do. There's a different level of media promotions, fan days. The demands on the coaches and the players are much greater than normal, but also the staff. Like behind the scenes, the staff out there in, in the Parramatta offices at Kellyville, they're working like crazy. The sponsor people are dealing with every single um, sponsor. Uh, the membership people are dealing with the members. Um, all the stakeholders, junior league people, Leeds Club, there's all these stakeholders that are around the club uh, that need to be embraced and engaged on particular, a very, very important week for the club. But from the footy point of view, um, my view is that you have to embrace and enjoy it. It could be a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and at the end, what do you hear about when you when you when you when you go old players? They never talk about their contracts. They never talk about the money. They talk about the memories. They talk about winning premierships. They talk about the mateship of their players. So this could be a once in a lifetime experience. You don't know. So you have to embrace it and enjoy it. 
I think it was really positive. I've heard Gutho a couple of times saying, oh, yeah, we're embracing it, we're into it. Gutho seemed loose, he was enjoying it. And that's the exact mental attitude you have to have. From a specific football point of view, we always focused on compartmentalising. There's the footy and there's all the other stuff, the different level of media and promotions and fan engagement. But the key was on the other stuff was to stay relaxed and have a good attitude. But on the footy side, when they step out on the park and they start training with with Brad and the coaching staff, they've got to be able to mentally switch on because at the end of the day, when they kick off on Sunday night, you've got to get the footy right. You know, so this week's preparation for the team, it's nothing to do with conditioning. They're, they're as fit and healthy, and luckily we have a healthy squad. Um, it's all about two things. Number one, the mentality, and number two, the tactical. How are they going to go about attacking this game? So, you know, as far as the preparation, it's like, this is what they live for. These, these guys have been playing since five or six years of age and dreaming of playing first grade and then dreaming of playing in a grand final, potentially winning. This is what they've wanted all their life. So... Again, I love Gutho's answers in some of the public interviews he's done this week around just embracing it, enjoying it. Um, but you can be sure with Brad and the coaching staff, once they hit the field and they're working out how to play and addressing their, their tactical approach to the game and their mentality of the game, that they'll be absolutely dialed in. And speaking of Brad, BA's never been through this process this week, this seven-day window as an NRL head coach, but uh, as an assistant coach at Manly in 2013 and the Melbourne Storm before that, He's had an insight to what it takes during grand final week. You've worked alongside him. What sort of traits, what sort of qualities does he possess as a coach and as an individual that will be beneficial for this team moving into that game on Sunday? Yeah, I think having seen it at Melbourne and Manly is is very helpful. He can see what goes on, what it takes, what the attitudes around the club are in, in grand final week. Look, you know, Brad, he's very level-headed. He understands his players He's as he's matured as a head coach, he's had an increasing understanding of the need of the extra things that go on in clubs around members and fans and sponsors. So he's now very good at that. So he, he'll understand totally these extra demands on everybody around the club. And look, when they step out on the training track, he'll be he'll be very clear in his mind because I don't think he, he doesn't get much sleep anyway. He's probably not getting any sleep this week. He'll be thinking exactly the way that they need to approach the game tactically. Um, the mentality has to be right this week, and the mentality is what won the game last week against the Cowboys. But the reality is, um, this week, you, you, you can't just get the mentality right against Penrith. You have to get the tactics right. How you go about your defensive uh, tactics and your, your, your attacking tactics you just have to get them right this week or you can't beat Penrith. And, and Bernie, we've sort of touched on this in a couple of answers, but the, the club staged its open training session on Monday. 5,000 supporters registered to attend. Uh, Ice actually commented that he usually only sees a man and his dog uh, watching on, which I thought it was a bit cruel, a bit of a cruel thing to say about Jeff, my good mate Jeff. <laughs> uh, but... Training yesterday was back to normal with maybe about 20 people there watching on. Uh, and it was a fairly typical session to my observations. Is it, how important is it for, I mean, how do you balance that you've got those, you, what you talked about it, of embracing the special qualities of grand final week, but also having those normal routines and the normal sort of training sessions? 
Yeah, it's very important. It's, it's very, very important. As I said, it's all about getting the football right so that when they walk out that dressing room door on Sunday night and they hit the field, that they're absolutely primed physically, mentally and tactically. Um, and the one thing you don't want to do in these weeks, you don't want to be hyped up and tearing the paint off the walls on a Thursday morning. You, you don't want to play the game uh, before Sunday night, and that's often players get too hyped. So I think it's good news if, if they're training sessions they're going through their routines and processes the game itself gives you that much excitement there's no there's not there's not, not much motivation needed by the coach this week because the the occasion motivates the players when they walk out that tunnel they'll feel 10 foot tall and with the players on both teams because of the occasion and the atmosphere so you don't there's not a lot of motivation on grand final week it's about getting your game on and making sure that the, you're crystal clear on what your job is, job is you know, I think now that the Dalliams are over last night, you've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Brad will be able to refocus on the footy. You'll be able to reinforce to him the tactics of how to win the game. So um, they're going to they're going to be ready. Now, Bernie, when the Eels took on the Panthers in week one of the finals, I wrote as part of my team last Tuesday that I feel like these two teams were destined to do this forever in 2022. And by some you know form of football providence, sure enough, the Panthers and the Eels meet in the Battle of the West in the grand final. Looking at their path to the big dance, what were your thoughts on their victory over South Sydney? Because it was certainly a different kind of game than the Eels versus the Cowboys. Yeah, I didn't get the impression that it, that it had the intensity, but it, I think it, it had a, clearly a high level of intensity early on. Um, the thing with Penrith is, even where they were a little, I thought they were a little flat coming out in the first 15 to 20 minutes, South jumped away to a lead, but then Penrith, they're, they're so good at, dropping back into their systems and they after about 20 minutes they became that relentless ruthless team that's so good at the basics so even though they were down 12 nil they stuck to their plan and their process they've got very level-headed leadership on field through Nathan Cleary and Isaiah Yeo so even when they were down 12 I didn't think they looked panicked at all they looked very calm albeit I thought maybe even flat but they quickly got back into their groove they have a terrific belief and confidence in themselves um, they've been there, done that, and you know that after after when they got on their game, you know the defensive intensity was outstanding. Mm-hmm. They stuck to their plan. Uh, their plan. They love to get into the grind. Uh, Cleary's kicking is a key piece of that, and not just the high kicks, which everyone talks about. Just his tactical kicking around the field to put their team in field good field position to put pressure on the opposition. Penrith actually. They're becoming less of a flamboyant team than they used to be. Sure, they've got talent across the park and they rely on that. But they have a big, big focus on the process, the grind, the relentless nature of wearing teams down. And that builds huge belief and confidence. South played well for about 35 minutes. The last five minutes, they gave up two tries. So they went from 12 nil to 12 all. You could sense at half time they were gone. They'd run out of puff. I think I mentioned to you last week in the preview of that game, They've had a brutal three or four weeks of football. Yep. They played the Roosters twice. They then had to play the Sharks in a knockout game. Then they came in to play the Panthers. And they'd lost a couple of key players like Burgess and Avili. Clearly, Arrow was wounded. Um, unfortunately for them, um, Walker and Mitchell were off their game. They just ran out of puff. And, and that's what happens when you finish outside the top four sometimes. Yeah. Yep. You've just played too many brutal games to, to, to get to a preliminary final. And they played some really brutal games, particularly the two against the Roosters at, at um, Allianz. They were brutal. So they ran out of puff, but full credit to Penrith. They, be- they had a belief and a confidence in their system, and, and it worked. 
And one thing that struck me about Penrith through this finals run is they've got something a little bit similar to the Parramatta Eels cooking in a different position. Uh, whereas for the Eels, it's the combination of Murata Niakori and Ryan Madison at lock forward with Murata soaking up those tough and torrid opening minutes and then letting Madison come in and be more expansive. They've got the same going on at dummy half with Mitch Kenny and Appy Coruscant. Kenny's there to start to soak up all the tough work early on and then Appy comes in and just takes their tempo up a notch at that key in, uh, sort of key interval that you mentioned those 15 to 20 minutes into the game. Yeah, look, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Mitch Kenny's toughness uh, and he's technically, his tackle technique is terrific. He's a real hitter. He's a shoulder hitter. He, he He's a terrific defensive player. He's a very solid dummy half. Now, I'm not sure whether it's just the rhythm of the game, but when 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 Coruscant came on, you could tell Penrith went up a gear offensively. He was getting out of dummy half. He's very crafty. He has beautiful a beautiful passing game. He has lovely instincts out of dummy half. He can get his he can get um, Fisher Harris and and um, Moses their Leo. other yeah Moses Leota over the ad line really really well. And there was just a different feel about them when he came on. Now, that may have, may have coincided with South starting to run out of puff a bit too, but that's an interesting one. I'm, uh, I'd be interested to see what, what he does. Is Ivan is a stickler for system, so I'd be surprised if he changes that this week. Now, there is an argument both ways on that, particularly, for example, if they got a lot of ball early in the game, they were dominating possession, you'd want to look happy Coruscant on the field. Yeah. If it's just a 50-50 split, they're going set for set and they're building each other, you, you may be happy to have Kenny bring Appy on. So it's a bit of a gamble for them. But the good news is when he brings for, – for the Panthers is that when he brings him on, you know he's going to change the tone of the game. Now, the Eels will have a nine-day turnaround after travelling to the tropics. Uh, Penrith looking at a day less after playing locally is – Will, will those sort of things be a factor? or Is either team better placed coming out of last weekend? No, I think that evens itself out. So even though the Eels came back straight away and they got back into Sydney, I'm told around 2.30 or 3 on Sunday morning on their charter directly out of Townsville, um, they'd have been shot on Sunday. That would have been strictly a rest day for them. So really, you've probably got two teams that, are, that in essence are playing on pretty similar rest. And the key in this is that the big problem with the, the the rest period is when you only have four, uh, five or six days for rest. Once you get to at least seven days, and now both teams on eight days, it's really even, Stevens. There's no there's no difference. Um, so both teams love to get that seven to eight day rest, which we have here with effectively an eight day rest. Um, and again, as important as the rest is the fitness. Now both teams, uh, Opechek's been lost to the Eels, Thailand. Uh, the Panthers, so they've both lost a, an outside back each. Uh, all the rest of their squads are fit and healthy, so you know there's no excuses from either. They've both got uh, the predominance of their best players playing this weekend. And you'd be hard-pressed to find a coach with a smaller penchant for the dramatic than BA, but he raised plenty of eyebrows on Teamless Tuesday when he brought back Nathan Brown from the equivalent of Rugby League Wilderness. What are your thoughts on the inclusion of... Uh, Parramatta's former talismanic lock forward, but now you know a, a guy that's sort of been out of the team for a few weeks, a few weeks and months. Look, I'm not close enough to the footy program to know uh, what what the thoughts are of Nathan versus uh, Cardi, because that's what it's come down to: Nathan Brown versus Bryce Cartwright. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do know is I trust Brad's intuition. I think this is an intuition that Nathan Brown's the type of player he needs. 
Penrith through the middle are ruthless and relentless. Absolutely, they just don't stop. They're amazingly fit, and if if you if there's a weakness in the middle, it'll be a problem. Now, I think Nathan Brown's better served when he comes on to provide a bit of starch in the middle than Bryce is. Bryce a terrific player. I think he's great to have in the club. He's more of a, a guy that plays with skill out on the edge. He's not a he's not a bash up guy in the middle. So if you've got Brown, if you've got Brown and, and in support of Nia Kore, Jr. and Regan Campbell-Gillard, that's a really solid physical group of four people. Now, I think the intention would be, and this is just my supposition, that Brown would come on potentially 10 minutes before halftime. He'd get another break at halftime. Now, halftime's are supposed to be 10 minutes, but in grand finals, I guarantee you it'll be 20 minutes. Therefore, and then he'll come out and do another 10 or 15 minutes. So he may only play 20 minutes, but he'll have a break in between. So his, the message from Brad will be... be Rip in front load is which is one of his favourite terminologies. He can front 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 load this because he knows he's only going to play probably twenty minutes to twenty five minutes. And so I'm I'm quite comfortable with Nathan coming in and look. Brownie's a terrific competitor. Um, the only thing he's just got to make make sure that he that he you know plays within the rules of the game. But I mean, I'm very very comfortable because you know Brownie's been a terrific contributor to the club for many years, and I I think he'll you know he'll but to do a job for the club. Now, including the trial, Bernie, the grand final will be the fifth occasion that Parra and Penrith have met this season. Uh, Penrith got the better of us in week one of the finals. Uh, what are their greatest strengths? And you have touched on this uh, uh, quite a bit already, but what are their greatest strengths? And uh, Can we expect a similar game plan from them to what they delivered in that first week of the finals? Absolutely. Everybody knows what Penrith's going to do. Just the teams can't, they can't combat it. And that's how good they are at doing what they do. There's no secrets in rugby league by this stage of the year. Every team knows what they're going to, going to, what the other team's going to do. There's been that much forensic study of video of basically every play the ball of your opposition that there's no secrets. The only thing teams may bring in, they may bring in a trick shot or a play similar to what Cronulla did in 2016 grand final off the scrum, you may get the odd trick shot, mm-hmm. but as a rule, how they play the game, it won't change. Now, Penrith, we talked about their mentality. They're, they're just relentless and ruthless, and they're so good at the basics of the game. Breaking that down a little bit on defence, for example, they reset. After a tackle, they reset back to the 10-metre line so well. They then get off the line with terrific line speed. I would argue the best in the league. And then once they do that, the third component of that defence is they hit. There's been a lot of talk in you know the last 10 to 15 years about wrestling and grapple and all this. Penrith actually hit hard. They hit hard on defense, so they hit. They don't just they don't just bear hug you. They hit you very hard, and then they control the tackle. And not only that, they do that defensively for 80 minutes. They may be one of the fittest sides that I've seen. They are remarkably fit. Now on the attacking side of the game, they stick to their plan. Just like they did last week, they love the grind. They love the process. If if they're if they're anywhere just just ahead of you or just behind you as you head into the second half of the game and you get down to them to the money end of the game, they're very comfortable. And so they have that terrific defence to rely on. They also have Nathan Cleary's kicking. That's a pressure. That's a pressure point on any team they play. As I said before, they're they're not as flamboyant as they used to be. Yeah, they run good set shape. They get in attack in good ball sets. But you don't see a lot of attack from them out of trouble. They'll just rumble their way upfield with their relentless play. Cleary will kick, 
and then they'll back themselves to force a fumble off the opposition. So there's going to be no secrets from them, and they're an amazing team to watch because you just know what ninety nine percent you know what they're going to do, um, but stopping it's another thing. Yep. And speaking of stopping it, Bernie, you broke down our week one finals loss to them when we were looking in between sort of that game and the looming game with the Canberra Raiders. Now, from that, what lessons do we take from the loss? What do we need to do differently this time around? And there's some obvious stuff like the errors in the completion rates, but as a team, what else needs to change? And then on an individual basis, are there key performers that you think will be the difference makers? Or like you sort of alluded to in other points, is this going to be a, a champion team versus a team of champions sort of effort? I think it's. Uh, I think they're both two terrific teams. Both teams have high quality players, clearly, but they're both terrific teams. One, the first thing I'd like to do is keep Mitchell Moses on the field for eighty minutes. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's my number one wish for the Eels, uh, because we're thirteen eight behind there with twenty minutes to go when Mitch went off. There's no question. Whilst Penrith had the momentum at that stage, the Eels were hanging in there. Look, you know, basics win football games for all the hoopla grand final and it's fantastic stuff it's great theatre when they kick off the things that win a regular season game are what wins playoff games and win grand finals you just have to do them at a better level because you're playing better teams and the stakes are higher but we got to go with them for 80 minutes we've proven last week we can go with the cowboys on the road for 80 minutes i think i think we have to get 50 percent possession and we have to complete around 75 at least around 75 percent now i know statistical things are not that exciting, but you have to do that. So you have to balance risk and reward. Yeah, you can throw the ball around, but if you drop the ball and suddenly you're completing at 55%, you will you will not win. There's no way. So you have to just do that in the right parts of the field. I would in the in the first game, I thought we got stuck in a phone booth a little bit. We got we were playing our hit ups both out of trouble and uh, over the halfway line, way too close to the play of the ball. We were easy meat for the def- their defense. We couldn't really get any momentum. It felt like we were being smothered and playing in a phone booth. I would I would challenge us to get our first receivers, uh, our, our front rowers and our 13 out off the first receiver, just to give them a little bit of space in certain parts of the field. Once we get into good ball sets, we have to move the ball. I don't think we're not, just bashing the ball up is not going to get the job done against uh, Penrith. And quite frankly, that's not the Eels game. The Eels game when we're at our best is confident ball movement with selective offloads when we get in their half of the field. Um, I like the idea of getting the ball to our – when we're in good ball sets, getting the ball to the edges with Lane and Papa Lee, they can punch forward, and then coming back to the post. Now, Joey Johns has been talking about uh, – that's a strategy they used to use and in origin, and I know Phil Gould used to have a strategy where he'd play to the edges, play to the numbers, which is the corridor down the edge, and you come back to the middle hoping to find a lazy front rower hanging around in the middle of the field under the post. So I think – you move the ball to the edges and back to the middle. Uh, front rowers, you know, hitting back towards the post with halves in support. Not dissimilar to the play that Junior Paulo put on for Mitchell Moses against the Raiders. Um, but, yeah, we've got to move the ball and have a few offloads. You can't die wandering in this game by just making sure you get an 85 or 90% completion, but you've thrown nothing at Penrith. We'll have to selectively move the ball and offload to challenge their defence and, that's what we did when we beat them at Penrith Park. There was that great play at the end where, where uh, or near the end, where uh, Gutherson set up Madison's try. It was a terrific piece, but it was by moving the ball a little bit. But you've got to do it selectively, and that's the challenge. The well, let's, we need let's get, yeah, let's get to that point of making the call. 
Uh, how's this clash going to unfold, Bernie, and who will emerge victorious? Yeah, well, it's, it's it, look, it's an enormous challenge for the Eels. They'll get the dogs, and, and I think everybody on the Eels side is quite comfortable with that. Um, if the Eels play their game, get their game on and get 50% of the ball, I can see the Eels winning. I think they can do it. Look, it's an enormous challenge. Um, you know, they're playing such a good team, and, and that, that's why this victory would be so satisfying given how good a team you're playing. So, you know, I think the Eels can do it. But they're going to play their game and they're going to have to execute their game at, a, at an optimum level. Now, the Panthers on one side, they're going for the quadrilla Bernie across the SG ball, Jersey Flag, New South Wales Cup and NRL. But on Parramatta's side, they've also got a unique bit of history just in their fingertip grasp right now because the NRLW have made the grand final alongside the Parramatta Eels NRL team, which is the first time since 2018 when the Sydney Roosters did the same in a four-team NRLW competition back then. Did you foresee the performance they delivered against the unbeaten Roosters, the unbackable favourites that they were in the grand final qualifier? No, I didn't, and I watched that game. It was a terrific game of football uh, If you for the Eels. Um, it was the Eels were... They were terrific. They were physical. They were confident. They moved the ball when they should move the ball. They were running hard, tackling. They basically ran harder and tackled harder than the, the Roosters. They'll go in as the underdog against Newcastle because Newcastle is a very impressive outfit. You've got uh, two really elite players with Millie Boyle up front and uh, Tamika Upton at the back. Mm-hmm. But the, the Eels were very, very impressive against the Roosters. The forwards were strong. Gail Broughton was outstanding at fullback. She's got – you can tell the way when, when you watch her play – very skillful, very good instincts for the game. And I think Charrington in the front row, it'll be very important. Kennedy Charrington and, and Samaima Taufa at 13. But if the Eels play with the same commitment they played with last week, they'll give themselves a chance. Like the men's team, they will go in as underdog. And I think they'll enjoy that. Uh, uh, we asked you about Brad Arthur and his uh, qualities as a coach. Uh, Dean Witters has a background with both the Roosters and the Eels. I would imagine that you got to uh, know a bit about Dean during his time with the Roosters. Uh, what qualities does he possess that would make him a successful coach? Yeah, I did. Dean was in, in was, was a player at the Roosters when I was CEO at the Roosters. Um, look, he's a terrific young fellow. He's a, he's, a, he's a great – he's a real leader. He's very charismatic, Dean Witters. Mm. Um, he's very understated and humble. But he engages so well with people. And there's a bit of Arthur Beetson in Dean Witters. Um, and Arthur recruited Dean to the Roosters when I was there. Uh, as far as his coaching qualities, look, he's calm, he's articulate, he's smart. Um, no, he's a champion bloke, Dean Witters. And I, I think, you know, he's got a real future if he wanted to focus on, on coaching because he, you know, coaching, whilst, you know, the tactical, that stuff's very important, you, and he, he knows that. He's a smart guy. He's played a lot of football and had some very good coaches. Um, but he all but that ability to relate with people and get people to want to play for you, Dean Witters has that. So I think it was an inspired choice to be the leader of the NRLW team at the Eels. Yeah, he seems to be an unflappable character that can always take a positive from something, which is a huge thing when you're a coach because it is such a grind. And you combine you ask about him, I'm sure they would be gushing in their praise yep. of the head cat. That would, and I'm not close to it. Um, I had, had a chat with him about it a year ago. I bumped into Dean somewhere, and uh, you know, just such a and he, he, 
he's just such a great fellow. But I bet you his players love him. Yeah, and that, that's the other thing too is that you use that word love. I think singularly among NRL coaches, it's one of those things that even if they present themselves as grumpy sometimes, not so much in case of Dino, but they have a love for the game, and that really shows through with Dean when you watch him in press conferences. You know, love for the game, love for their players. And, yep. and, and you know, sometimes that's tough love, and you have to be telling people yep. things they don't want to hear. But, I mean, I just think Dean, Dean's done a terrific job for them to come back from where they were earlier in the, the NRLW season to, to have, have that win last week and go to the GF. And you mentioned that they're the underdogs and they're going to thrive on that status. Newcastle being the big upstart team this year in the NRLW, it's a retelling of the 2001 grand final uh, way, way back, hopefully going the other way around if you look at the narratives here. Can the Eels bring back the first ever NRLW title for the, the franchise? Absolutely. And, but again, they'll be underdogs. They'll have a similar challenge to the men's team in the sense that the Knights are the favourites, the Knights are... They're the gun team. The Knights have gone out and brought in Millie Boyle and Tamika Upton at the back is just, she's unbelievable with the fullback. Um, so it's a huge challenge. Again, I think they need at least 50% of the ball to win the game. I don't see, if, New, if you give Newcastle 55 or 60% of the ball, I don't think the Eels can win. Mm-hmm. If the Eels can get into the grind and play with the same attitude and physicality they played with last week on both sides of the ball, then they give themselves a chance to win. Now, Bernie, we couldn't let you go without really calling on your expertise and knowledge for this particular question. As someone who's been at the the head honcho role in two clubs, what does a grand final appearance or a premiership mean for a club, a coach, a player? Now, is it quantifiable, like in terms of memberships, sponsorships, contracts? What 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 does it bring, this big day, to a team? It's monumental. And particularly, like, Penrith won't be getting the incremental increase that the Eels will get because the Panthers have been there for a couple of years and they've started to enjoy the fruits of their success in those certain areas of the business. But from a business point of view, sponsorships, memberships, fan engagement, and even things engaging with your other stakeholders like the junior leagues, etc. It's huge. So there's a, there's a financial impact and there's a reputational impact. But what it does do, on the existing stakeholders, all those people I've just mentioned, it reinforces their connection and they want to stay involved with the club. That's number one. Number two is the fringe stakeholders, potential new sponsors, potential new members. They You will get them on board because they want to be associated with their team, but they want to be associated with their team when they feel that team's successful. So it's huge. And Parramatta... You know, it just reinforces that the Parramatta Reels, and, you know, I've been preaching this for six years, that they are the biggest. Parramatta Reels are the biggest club in Sydney, or at least they had the potential to be, and now they're realising that potential. Um, I think we had the Parramatta had the highest membership numbers this year. That that The membership number next year could go crazy if the Eels win the grand. You could get up to 40,000 members, which for a Sydney club is, you know, freakishly good. What it does too is it's not just those things. This can mean millions of dollars for the club um, and you can only do it by the time you get to the end of next year and you look at the, the, the comparative numbers between next year's numbers and this year's and you say, oh, gee, our membership revenues went up, you know, three-quarters of a million dollars or our sponsorships went up a million dollars. Then you can start to quantify it. But the other thing it does on the footy side, it reinforces the club as a destination club. Um, you know, I think the managers and the players around the game now have a respect for Parramatta, which, quite frankly, they didn't have before. 
Um, I'd spoken to managers when I first joined Parramatta, and they said, look, mate, I don't really send players to Parramatta. And I, I heard that from a couple of managers when I first started at Parramatta at the back end of 2016. But the club now is, as I've said before, you know, the board stable, the management stable, the coaching staff stable, and the playing roster has been built over the last five years or so. So everything about the club is, is sniffing of success. And what that does, it gets you an audience with clubs that you want to go after. So for the existing players, they have confidence in the way the club's being managed. And I think you're seeing that at the moment. Sean Lane's being very positive in his commentary around the club. And it also allows you to get a, get an audience to attract new players. And I don't, don't just mean players at the NRL level. But also, if you're a if you're a winning club like a Storm or a Roosters, and in what used to be the Broncos back in the day, they're trying to rebuild themselves too. But it also you you have a better reputation amongst the pathways players. So when you go to that seventeen year old and say we'd like you to come to the Eels, it's like the Storm and the Roosters when they go and see players, they get an immediate audience with that seventeen year old player, and they're more likely to go there because the parents and the players sense they they're looking after their players. It's a very strong club. This will give my son or daughter a chance to be successful in rugby league. So, again, there's financial benefits and there's reputational benefits, and they both of it. The reputational piece covers not only the the off-field pieces of the club where people have a, a faith and a trust in the club that they can get, have a beneficial commercial relationship with the club, but also on the football side, it has definitive benefits, and you can't quantify that. But as the club continues to be successful and build on that, like the Roosters and Storm have done, like the Panthers have done in the last, I'd say, five to six years, the Panthers, they've been building, you suddenly get to a point where, you, where it has an enormous benefit to your football program as well. So, yeah, getting to a grand final, but winning one, is um, that's Nirvana. Bernie, it has been one hell of a ride having you on the tip sheet. I know you've come through another final series for us, but this one obviously just been that much more special going through to the final game of the season, the final preview. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your time, your expertise, your your insights on not just the Parramatta Eels, but Rugby League as a code itself. All we can wish for now, mate, is just two more wins, I suppose, the NRL and the NRLW getting over those final hurdles and bringing home that special, special premiership. Absolutely, and I'll be uh, out there on Sunday cheering on both the men and the women's teams. Hope it's a great day for the Eels, and I hope they bring home two trophies. Thank you so much, mate. We'll catch you later. Thanks, Thanks Bernie. Yeah, as always, wonderful talking to Bernie Go 60s which means given all his incredible insights, all that's left to do is just walk through the uh, two games, the four Team Wests, Eels versus Knights, Eels versus Panthers. Let's get into it, mate. We'll start with the NRLW, kicking off 3.55pm out at Acor Stadium, on 9, KO and Foxtel for those that couldn't get tickets because it was such a shit show in terms of grabbing tickets. At fullback for the two teams, Tamika Upton versus Gal Broughton for the Eels. We'll look at the flank 60s. It's Kiana Penatani and Emanita Paki up against Zali Fay and Cassie Tohi Hiku in the centres. Shanice Parker and Bobby Law take on Parramatta's Abby Church and Rikia Horn. Tiana Penatani is a consideration still as per her chat on uh, the Dally M's last night, but she's going to be pretty much a game day decision if they go with her. Moving to the halves, Kira Dibb, Jesse Southall, they're taking on Parramatta's Ashley Quinlan and Taylor Preston. A huge battle on the halves there, obviously. In the front row, Dean Witters makes a couple of formal changes here. They've started in the last couple of weeks, but now they get the actual numbers on their backs. Kendi Cherrington, Ellie Johnson and Brooke Anderson, they're taking on Caitlin Johnston, Millie Boyle, who captains the team from the Newcastle Knights, and Olivia Higgins. In the back row, Newcastle have Remy Tetzel, Yasmin Clydesdale, and Kayla Romiuk. 
up against Parramatta's Christian Pio, Vanessa Foliaki, and Captain Samaima Taufa, who is also lock of the year. Well done to Samaima. Well deserved, truly. Onto the benches now, 60s. The Novocations have Emma Manzelman, Taylor Prebidon, Simone Capani, and Mackenzie Wheel. For the Eels, it's Philomena Hanisi, Silly Malungi, Nevada George, and Rim Butler. Extended rosters, Caitlin Moran, Kyra Simon, Tiana Davison, Jessica Gentle, and Tamsin Barber for Newcastle, for Parramatta. Ruby Jean Kennard, Brooke Morgan Walker, Ruben Cherrington, Tiana Penatani, and Tess Staines. Like I mentioned, Penatani going to be given every chance to prove her fitness for this game. But right now, Abby Church is in the box seat to hold down that left center position. Yeah, so I think really we've we've spoken with Bernie. Uh, we'll we'll wrap up fairly quickly on both the women's and the men's with our takes. Look, I think this is the time for uh, to avenge that loss to the Knights, that unfortunate loss to the Knights that should never have happened. I'm taking great confidence out of that game because we more than matched them. We had no decisions went our way in that game. There was a try awarded that was never a try. Never a try. Yeah, It, It was, in fact, it was one of the most disgraceful calls that I've ever seen from a bunker official to award that try. Uh, and that's forgetting all of the other calls that happened during the game that were a joke. I'm talking about for uh, for a bunker call. So I'm oh, look. I have great confidence. I think last week was the blueprint for victory. Uh, we spoke about it. Well, Bernie gave some great takes on the Eels' performance against the Roosters, and to me, that blueprint is just perfect rugby league. Uh, forwards getting control. You've got the the Eels halves that did such a superb job steering them around mm-hmm. last week. It, it was it, it was a standout performance from the Parramatta halves, and then the backs basically uh, finished it off. You had uh, what was it three tries through the centres last week in their uh, victory over the over the Roosters. I know Rakia Horn Church and got Horn. one. Church and Horn both scored, yeah. So Yeah, multiple, yeah. Multiple so, times through those centre free quarter line. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, very encouraging performance in terms of what lies ahead this week. Obviously the Knights have two of the premier players that and Bernie mentioned it before in Upton and uh uh also the uh the front rower in uh Boyle. Yeah, Millie Boyle. So Billy Boyle, I mean, look, Upton is arguably the the best player, the best women's player in the game. She is a remarkable talent. And as soon as the Knights were able to recruit her, they rocketed right yeah, up there. Their trajectory changed, didn't it? Yep. They, they went from being also Rans to suddenly they're just the legit real deal. Uh, and likewise, you know, in the halves, Jesse Southwell just took out the Rookie of the Year uh, in the Dallium's last night for the NRLW. She's another fantastic young talent. Yeah, the big thing for me, 60s, you and Bernie obviously both touched on it. You talk about the energy, the enthusiasm. If they play like they did against the Roosters, they, to use that Brad Arthurism, front load their efforts and, and chase the collisions. They're going to be hard to stop, Parramatta, because they, they were like a, a pack of lions in that game against the Roosters. They just poured into everything, whether it was attack or, or defense, they were just coming in ferocious. You know, cover defense, runs, supporting, everything. And, and you know, we mentioned the halves. Taylor Preston, phenomenal between the 20s, controlling the game beautifully. And then once you get inside the red zone, Ashley Quinlan just takes over, and she's been so lethal 
with her ability to run and pass across those last two games. So looking forward to those two girls being huge factors. Likewise, Gal Broughton, who was just tireless against the Roosters. She she literally ran herself to a standstill, uh, pushing up in support, making those last line defense cover tackles, doing all that work. So the Eels have the difference makers. You look at the pack, Kenny Cherrington, Samima Taufa, Ellie Johnston was outstanding against the Roosters. So she's got a, a big matchup against a fellow namesake in Caitlin Johnston, as well as Millie Ball. All these players were so good against the Roosters and they can just replicate it for 70 more minutes. They'll have a chance to secure the trophy. Yeah, and and I mean, what a what a, a, a great rotation the bench is able to provide because uh, Mina Hanisi, the the carries that she uh, is able to bring as a, a, a follow-up to what uh, Cherrington and Johnson are able to do. And I, I spoke in the uh, post-match instant reaction to the NRLW's win last week and I said about the the, the dirty metres yep. that uh, Cherrington makes because, you know, for her, it's all about what she's generating there in the middle of the ruck, fighting the defence, challenging them to bring her down. I mean, she just makes carry after carry and they're not glory runs in any way. It's just the real ugly meters that the props like her and and Ellie Johnson have to make. And then I, I think to be able to bring on the energy that Hanisi brings with her carry straight after that is is really, really critical. And I think uh Dean Winters has really got that uh he's got the bench down uh correctly. He's got the the starting seventeen uh, starting thirteen uh, they're all firing now. The the players have such a belief in each other. It's a real team mentality. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to this because, as I said, I think the the pointer to this game was the, uh, the clash earlier this season. Uh, it was a clash that the Eels deserved to win. I think we have the players that can uh, – I think we're a better team as well. Like we're functioning far better than we were in that game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and, and look, the Knights might say, "Well, so are we," and and, and may well may very well Both be, be the case. Absolutely. But I think, in terms of that attitude, that I think uh, and the spirit that is in this Eels team, but I and I, I spoke about it preseason. Like you could see it out there on the field, in the on the training tracks. The the incredible spirit that's in the group and that extends beyond just the 17 i mean that's the entire squad and the staff it's just you know i i I wish i could uh articulate the what you see in the way of of energy and love for the game that you see from from watching this team prepare from you know the players, the staff, everyone connected with it. It's there is a real joy about playing that elite level of rugby league and pulling on the blue and gold jersey that you see with this group. So I mean, we mentioned there's a uh, real sisterhood in this team, isn't there? They they yeah. absolutely love each other. They they want to go to war with each other, and and that's been evident in this last fortnight where they've taken down the back to back to back premiers and then the unbackable, unbeatable roosters in that uh, first week of the finals. So. The self-belief has to be through the roof in this team. They, you know, regardless of being a one-win regular season, that means nothing to them because they know that those win, that, that win-loss record wasn't reflective of who they were 
given that there was a stretch of, you know, I think it was three two-point losses, including the Newcastle Knights, with those controversial circumstances. So self-belief, not a factor in this one. They're going to be absolutely bubbling over a foot. And if you watched the Dalliams last night, I think Tiana Penatani perfectly epitomised that, and Kennedy Charrington was absolutely bubbling over with energy. So they're, they're up for this game. All that's left now, 60s, is to call our shots. Who's going to get over the try line first? How it's going to play out? Who's going to be the key player? Okay, so I'm going to uh, say that the Eels will win this by an eight-point margin. I think it's very it's it's very tough to predict a scoreline in the NRLW. So I'm not going to predict a scoreline. I'm going to predict an eight-point margin to the Eels. Uh, first try scorer. I'm going to go with uh, Rakia Horn as nice. first try scorer. Uh, I think she's uh, she's in the try scoring form at the moment. I think she's been revelation at centre, and uh, I see her getting across the stripe first. And uh, best on field, I'm going to say this will be the match that stamps Gail Broughton as that superstar in the making. And she's already been a superstar in rugby sevens. I think she, I think she reaches a new level in this game. So I'll, I'll nominate Gail as the uh, best on field. For me, got. I mean, with with both these games, you're insane if you're not tipping Parramatta wins, regardless of how much of an underdog they are coming into this in either fixture. So Parramatta win. I will go twenty six to fourteen. So I think that was that if I can do my maths, a twelve point difference there. Twelve point, yeah. Yep. So twelve point victory there. First try score is interesting. I think it's going to come down the left edge, uh, some some way somehow of Ash Quinlan, who's been in, in cracking touch. So whether she scores the individual trial or puts over either, well, if Tiana plays, obviously Tiana, but otherwise Abby Church or Zoe Faye down that edge. I think it's going to come somewhere down there. Um, I will back Quinlan herself if I had to put a, a name to it. Explicitly, but for the best on field for the, for this game to go that way, uh, Gail Broughton obviously a fantastic pick there, sixties. But I come back to the, the the two women that really are the engine in this team, and the Eels don't win this game unless one or probably both of Samaya Taufa or Kendi Cherington just go absolutely supernova, and I expect them to just you know put their team on their back at some point in this game and be critical difference makers. So look to one of those two for the best on field. Oh, mate, I, I'm just – the competitiveness of those two players, the will to win, like that. that's a, that's just a superb call. It's uh, – I, I, I'm not going to argue with that in any way, shape or form. I, I, I just have this inkling – how can I put it? I'm expecting those two to be the, the driving forces there. I just have this sneaky feeling – that this will be the game where Broughton explodes. Oh, I mean, what a fantastic way to cap off a rookie season it would be for her to take the player of the match honours in this game. And she's just been building and building. And and like we said, it's been a learning process for her. If she can put the culmination of all those different individual lessons and, and everything that she's sort of picked up in the game together for 70 minutes, then watch out Newcastle. Yeah, now... The NRL, mate. Yeah, we move on to what is billed as the main event in this game. But for Parramatta fans, obviously, every bit is important. NRLW and NRL. In this one, it's the Eels taking on the Panthers. Uh, I mean, Panthers Panthers looking to go back-to-back in this game. Eels looking to break a 36-year drought. I wrote about it on Tuesday, 60s. If this was a Hollywood script, 
you would throw it out for being utterly unbelievable garbage. Sports just spit out some of the most ridiculous storylines sometimes, and the NRL and NRLW are no uh, exception to that rule. Let's look at the two teams here. Uh, a couple of, or a change for the Eels significantly, and a player ruled out as well. So we'll start at the fullback. Dylan Edwards v. Quentin Gufferson, uh, two of the like-for-likes here, the high-energy, high-effort fullbacks. Uh, you can see why they're both so respected by their peers, by their teammates. They're in the one. Moving on to the twos and fives, Charlie Staines up against Mike Acevo, Brian To'o taking on Wanga Blake. In the centres, you've got two young guns, Isaac Tungo and Will Penasini. Likewise, Stephen Crichton taking on Bailey Simonson. Uh, Tom Obercic could not pass that fitness test 60s. Absolutely tragic for him. But Bowie did a fantastic job against the Cowboys. Expect him to do that again this week against the Panthers. Moving on to the all-important five apes and halfbacks. You've got Jerome Luai and Nathan Cleary, co-captain for the, the Panthers there, up against Dillbags, Dylan Brown, and Mitchell Moses. Uh, arguably the two best six and seven combinations in the competition. It is no surprise they've helmed their teams to the grand finals. Penrith being you know, back-to-back-to-back grand finalists now. And for the Eels, the Brown and Moses combination has been building beautifully over a number of years. Dylan coming into, I don't want to say the full realisation of his talents because I don't think we've seen it yet, but you know, just starting to scratch the surface there and Mitch in full command of his repertoire of skills. We move on to the front rows where it's just powerhouse v powerhouse. Moses Leota, James Fisher-Harris. They're currently named the bookend Appy Coruscant, but we are expecting Mitch Kenny to start over Appy when it comes to what the Panthers have done in his last few finals games. They're taking on the Parramatta powerhouse combination of Reagan Campbell-Gillard, Junior Barlow, and Reed Marnie. As with the halves, 60s, you'd be hard-pressed to find better combinations in the NRL. There is a reason why these two teams are in the grand final. It is built on their playmakers. It is built on their forwards. Reflective in the two teams named here, we move to the back row where Viliyama Kikau, Liam Martin, and Isaiah Yo take on Sean Lane, Isaiah Papali'i, and Ryan Madison. Uh, again, just superstar back rowers. Maddo probably were going to move to the bench uh, to make way for Murata near Kore. So speaking of the benches, here we go to the Panthers where Mitch Kenny named to play off the interchange. Expected the start, swapping off Appy, but Scott Sorensen, Spencer Lenu, and Jamin Salmon. Uh, as expected, the only question mark would have been whether Lenu passed his concussion protocols. Despite uh, some, I suppose, issues he has with memory for that game, it looks like he's going to be cleared, so Panthers should be as named. For the Eels, Nathan Brown, we spoke with Bernie about it. Sensationally record for the big game here, the big dance. He's going to give it his all for the Eels. Jake Arthur and Oregon Kafusi join him while Murata Niakore, named in number 17, will probably start over Ryan Madison. They're the two starting 17s. Looking at the extended rosters, Sean O'Sullivan, Matthew Eisenhue, Jermaine Hopgood, future real right there, Sunia Taruva and Chris Smith. Uh, that's for Penrith and for Parramatta, Bryce Cartwright, Makahesi Makatoa, Tom Opacic, Opahiki Ogden and Kai Rodwell. They're your two 22-man rosters. They're the teams that go hammer and tongs at it for 80 and maybe 80-plus minutes on Sunday. I mean, you look at it laid out on paper like that, like I said, you can see why these two teams are in the grand finals, why Penrith have been so dominant, while the Eels have been able to throw off all the unbelievers, all the non, all the doubters and all the uh, self-doubt, I suppose, that's been built up over years to get to the big dance this week. Like I said, if the NRLW, all that's left now is for us to call our shots because Bernie's done such a wonderful job laying out how this game can be won and lost, how the Eels can prevail despite entering this game as the underdogs. How do we see this one playing in yeah. the 60s? Well, well, mate, first I have to take you to task because you didn't mention Liam Martin as a future eel. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that was something that we'll, we probably would have hoped we could have recorded with our, with our Spiro yesterday because it came out last night. I think it was uh, was it Brent Reed or David Riccio? Reed uh, was saying that the strong male, not just from the eels camp, but from 
uh, Martin's camp that he'd be quite happy to join the Parramatta Eels. So, yeah, that is a very much watch this space here. So maybe if we can get some double agent play from Liam on Sunday, it'd be nice. But, yeah, that that is very interesting. Martin, obviously, a hard-nosed, uh, hard-running back rower. Uh, Eels, I suppose it's a sign that the Eels are almost uh, consigned and resigned to losing as I Papali'i. To, I say losing. He signed a contract with the West Tigers, uh, which means, you know, there's a couple of players here on both sides. You know, Kikau, uh, we mentioned uh, Martin potentially too, uh, but they're losing Api Corusau for the Eels, Marada, Isaiah Papali'i. Uh, I mean, I know Ray Stone's not playing, but he's there too, Oregon Kafusi. There, there are some players here who have, I mean, not, not to say that the other players wouldn't, because this is the, the biggest game of the season, the biggest game of a lot of these players' careers. But there are some players here, without a doubt, that that sense of finality, that that final chapter in what could be their premiership campaigns as players, you know, depending on where they're going, uh, this is it. So that they've got no reason to leave anything but everything on the field in this game. Yeah. So let's not kid ourselves. This is a monumental task to get over the... Uh, the the gold standard team in this current era, which is the Penrith Panthers, three straight grand finals, that just doesn't happen. That that's that's not a that's not a fluke team. That is a team that is oozing in skill, in confidence, in uh, f- football intelligence. It's no no matter how you might feel about uh, attitudinal aspects of the Penrith Panthers as as players or as an organisation, whatever whatever thoughts you have there that may cause you to dislike the Panthers, you have to be just so incredibly full of admiration, uh, if not envy, for the type of football team that they are now producing. And it is, as I said, it's it's just the the absolute gold standard. Uh, their future looks assured with looking at all those lower grades that have taken out the titles. Uh, it's a production line of players coming through, and you know that with that production line behind them, that they are naming seventeen players at the top of their game because. Uh, they've really only got one significant absence through injury, and apart from that, it's the it's it's their top squad that they're able to win. Yeah, Taylor uh, May on the wing is the only notable absence. Otherwise, this team is just stacked one to seventeen. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, mate, it's it comes back to as we spoke about with Bernie, we have to play their strength, our strengths, and limit and limit theirs. Uh, because their weaknesses don't really seem to be there. Uh, if they have any quiet periods in the game, that's where we've got to take uh, full advantage. But it's unlikely that they're going to have any quiet periods. We have to we have to manufacture the win. We can't go out there hoping to win. We can't go out there hoping not to lose or aiming not to lose. This has to be a game that we take to them. And consequently, the forwards are critical. Uh, our our kicking game, the kick chase, 
the kick pressure on Cleary. And yes. Because we sir. see, you know, like if he just lands the ball where he wants to, we know where it's going. We know where it's going if he lands the ball where he wants might, to. Might land. be the first team since Penrith to actually attack Wanga. <laughs> so Penrith going full circle here. They were the first and only team to attack him in the finals, and they could be, you know, where, if given the time and opportunity, where they go again. Yeah, so I suspect that uh, Reed Marnie will be on a mission to uh, get out there on the, you know, get himself well positioned around the fourth and fifth tackles to be able to put some pressure on. Nathan Brown, when he's out there, he'll probably be leading the line speed, putting pressure on Nathan Cleary. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we allow him to, as I said, if we allow him to do exactly what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, and to whom he wants to do it, then we will be in trouble. So uh, we have to take that responsibility, and certain players, as I said, will be given that probably given that responsibility. Uh, look, it's as I said, it's not going to be an easy easy task. Uh, however, we've done it three times this year, including the trial. Uh, two of those occasions were convincing, albeit one with a, a Pan- Panthers being a player down, but we were well on the well on the way to ascendancy in that game before Cleary was dismissed. Uh, the last game was convincingly on the scoreboard for the Panthers, and even when it wasn't, even when it was tight, you still sensed that the Panthers had. Uh, that enough of an ascendancy that they were going to win the game, even when, uh, even just before Moses went off. So, uh, you know, I mean, it could have turned out to be a game like it was against the Cowboys, where Parramatta won against the odds. I don't think we can win against the odds this week. I'm like Bernie. If we have less than 50% of the ball, we're in big trouble. I think we have to be so positive, so strong in what we do, that we have to get the majority of the possession. We have to control possession. We have to limit the errors. As I said, I I talked about what we had to do around Cleary. Look, if we can do all those things, I see a uh, a four to six point victory for the Eels. Uh, I'm going to go Parramatta 28-24. Yep. Uh, first try scorer, Dylan Brown. I think he makes a statement early in the game. And uh, best on field, I'm going to go with a departing player, Isaiah Papali'i, as best on field. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I mean, you and Bernie laid out so many of the foundational aspects of how the Eels can win this game and how it's going to be hard to win this game. Uh, you know, it comes back largely to those middle forwards laying the platform, getting through their sets, not turning over the ball cheaply, all that. But when I I almost take that as a given, right? Like you're going to need Junior and Reg and Murata and Maddo to all step up, Nathan Brown to Oregon as well. All those players, that, that six-man or seven-man battery of middle forwards, they've got to do their jobs. But then I, I look at how you can win the game after that, after you get into the arm wrestle and... The Parramatta Eels can attack the Penrith Panthers from a lot of really unique ways, a lot of ways that almost no other team in the competition can, which is why they've been successful or highly competitive against them in recent seasons, uh, especially in 2022, obviously. You, you look at Reed Money at dummy half, and his goal on the try line 
or on the try line, sorry, not in the try line, um, and his ability to play short to his props or out the back to Madison, who himself has become a weapon in these finals with that deaf short ball. I look to our edge back rowers, Lane and Papali'i, but Lane in particular, he is just such a difference maker. Uh, the ability to play second phase football, the ability to get post contact meters. Uh, he is so frustrating to deal with. Ice is an absolute sledgehammer in comparison. And and as a sneaky kick chase uh, threat, he scored quite a, a number of clutch tries off the back of kicks, more than you'd think. And then obviously the other one that, you know, outside of the halves I go to, the other one that not just as a weapon himself, but as a potential mismatch, the one potential mismatch when it comes to these two 17-man rosters is Mike Acevo up against the Forbes Ferrari in Charlie Staines. And I, I think that if the Eels can just get Micah downhill, give him a chance to get some one-on-one looks against uh, Staines, there's going to be some chances to score here. So, like I said, the, the Eels, perhaps more than any other team in this competition, can attack the Panthers in ways that, that will make them nervous, make them sweat, make them feel a bit uncomfortable. And it's just going to be about maximizing those chances. So the little kid in me wants this to be, despite you know the, the underdog billing, wants this to be a little bit akin to the 08 grand final when the Manly Seagulls just absolutely blew the pants off the unbackable favorites in the Melbourne Storm. I would love that. I mean, yeah, as a neutral, it'd suck to have a, a complete blowout, but what a way for Parramatta to go out. But the, the cold reality is that the Eels are going to win this. It's going to be much like you said, 60s, a real tight affair, 1.2.4.6 point, point, something in that range. I will go 25-24. Mitchell Moses field goal the difference. Oh, mate, are you going to make us sit through that? I am going to. There is no way we get this easily, get the monkey off our back, get the gorilla off our back that, that easily. You know we're going to have to sweat and sweat and sweat, and we'll, we'll kick the field goal and still have to defend that one last set. That's just how it's going to go down. Like I said, if this was a script in Hollywood, you would throw it out for being so unbelievable. The, you know, there's there is a complete suspension of disbelief as a script, but in sports, it just got away. First try scorer, uh, I would love the Eels get the true first try scorer here, and not not just the uh, actual bull and goal first try scorer. Um, I will go. I, I've backed Sean Lane so much, and it's just it, has, it hasn't come off despite him being so good and so critical. I will go with the the big Fijian Mike Acevo. I think that's going to set a tone down that left edge. Best on field, well, well, I don't know if if it'll play out necessarily as best on field, but if the Eels win and Mitchell Moses has a strong game, I think he'll get the Clive Churchill. I think the narrative is just so important there. We've seen Clive Churchills in the past given the players that were lesser deserving of it, but you know because they're the, the control tower, the key player, the the guy that's got the narrative like Jonathan Thurston, I think Moses will be better than Thurston was in 2015, but I think he'll get the Clive Churchill. Then when that happens, he truly writes his own place in the history of the Eels. And for a young bloke that grew up as an Eels supporter and is in that the role that Peter Sterling made famous and has made that poison chalice for anyone who's who's worn the number seven since then uh i i you know basically mate you've just added to that hollywood script that you that yeah, you said yeah that exactly we, exactly exactly <laughs> so, yep. you know it yeah mate I, I i i love that scenario that you've just laid out uh 
I don't want it to go in terms of the ha- happen that oh, way in terms of the tension of give, a field give, goal. Give me the forty to nil, like one hundred percent. I I will take the blowout. I don't care. Like if if this game was completely over after twenty minutes because we've scored twenty four points, I'm all for it. But the reality yeah. is that Penrith are too good. Uh, the the Eels. If I said that coach, you'd be hard pressed to find a coach with a, a smaller penchant for the dramatic than you know BA. The team's almost to reverse to that. With we, we, the Eels have a penchant for the dramatic, a flair for the unusual when it comes to rugby league. And it'd be the Hollywood script to go to that 25-24 victory. And, yeah, just there's just so much pointing to it. And the other thing we didn't mention, 60s, I had a peek at the weather. Uh, There is a – I think it's a 70% chance of rain on Sunday as it stands, but it's one to five mils. So it's going to happen in the morning if it comes down. Should clear up in the afternoon. So hopefully it'll be cool and uh, relatively pleasant for all the games happening on Sunday out at a core stadium. You know, when you were just talking then, I thought a team's a reflection of the personality of their coach. And if ever there was a team that wasn't a reflection (laughs) of the personality of their coach, it's Parramatta. Seriously. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, yeah, mate, uh, that's probably a good point to wrap it up. But I I just want to remind people that tomorrow night, uh, we'll be in Jack's Bar and Grill. Our podcast will start, our live podcast will start there at around 7.30 p.m. Uh, look, get down there, whether you, you know, whether you uh, uh, have been a regular, uh, the podcasts, uh, the live podcasts or not. What we're viewing this year as is also end of season drinks and get together. We've got a number of uh, TCT, the TCT family, uh, the writers, friends, mates, uh, associates that will be there on Friday night. We're we're getting there as a celebration of the season, mm-hmm. and we're not we're not going off early and celebrating a premiership. We're just getting there to celebrate the season. Uh, tell a few yards. Uh, we'll, uh, the formalities will be Forty and I breaking down the road to the grand final. But you know what? Get down there. Just hang out with us. Hang out with us and our yep. mates and enjoy coming down to Jack's Bar and Grill. Have a have a feed, have a drink, uh, have a good yarn about the Parramatta season. We'd love to see you there. If you've been a regular listener to the podcast and, and you're looking for something to do on Friday night, get there. Make sure you book. Uh, but but get there and and you know we we'd love for you to come down say good day and, and drink with us and yeah just just uh, it, debrief our season and 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 talk about what a great year it's been so far and how good it's going to be come Sunday and, and as much as we speak about it with the players sixties and that preparation for Sunday but it's true for the fans soak it in enjoy this week get out there at Jack's Bar and Grill and and share a drink with us because. These opportunities are so special. These journeys are so special. I mean, you look back on our path to the grand final, we're going to break it down obviously tomorrow night, but you think about the the lowest lows that we had and all, all the times that we stumbled, but we never fell. You know, there was never consecutive losses. There were so many signpost flag-planting victories that you can see laid the foundation for this push into the finals. So yeah, man, and, yeah. enjoy it. You know, the, This is a really, really special time for the club. NRL, NRLW Grand Finals, second time ever, first in the six-team NRLW era. It doesn't get any better than this 60s. So on that note, 
We're going to sign off. As always, thanks for stopping by, giving us a listen. TCT's popping off with all the content this week. We've got a, a whole stack of the, the review stuff out of that window. The Cowboys now skewing towards the preview stuff. I know that you're trying to get your bumpers up out 60s and it has been, oh, mate. It has been a thesis <laughs> level project because you've been A, so busy and B, had so much to talk about that it's going to be an all-timer when it finally drops. Oh, mate, I, I, I keep adding to it and I keep thinking to myself, am I ever going to finish this post? So I'll, I'll make no apologies when it lands because it might it, it will probably be the longest bumpers up post that I've ever written. Uh, it's driving me crazy with how long it is and and finishing it off, but it, it will it will drop either sometime today or tomorrow. Um, so yeah, look out for that. But mate, apart from that, go you mighty eels. Yes, sir. Catch you guys on the next episode.